Chapter 15 of The Pirate Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carmen Fulmer, West Virginia. The Pirate Woman by Aylward Edward Dingle. Chapter 15 The Fires of the Flesh. In the schooner's saloon, the atmosphere was peaceful by contrast with the hurly-burly outside. Yet even here, the steep slant of the deck, the shrill, protesting squeal of working frames and beams, the sullen thud and swish of racing seas along the vessel's skin, kept the storm ever in mind. The dizzy plunge of the bows into great gray seas, with its accompanying rise of the stern and the hollow jar and thump of the rudder-post in its port kept the interior humming with sound as from a distant organ again chained to the mainmast the three yachtsmen stood gloomily regarding dolores whose capable battle-wise fingers now performed a task more in keeping with her sex and charm under the great swing lamp in the skylight she leaned over the table mixing wine in low stout cups spreading a silver salver with food from the pantry and a thrilling picture she made in the soft glow of the lamp the beautiful face was warm with color the scarlet lips were slightly opened in a brilliant smile intent upon her task she swayed with superb grace to the tremendous lurches of the driving schooner, ignoring all outside affairs. Her preparations completed, she placed tray and cups at the end of the table nearest the mainmast, turned around the deep armchair, which had been the owner's own, and sat down, offering a cup and the tray with a little laugh of satisfaction. <laughs> Come, friend Rupert she said thrilling venner again with her vibrant voice thou shalt be first eat and drink see for thee i do this she raised the cup to her lips and kissed the brim fixing her fathomless eyes full on venner as she did so he struggled with his feelings for a moment and hated himself heartily for even debating his attitude but he fell as he had done before dazzled by her witchery his eyes blazed his blood leaped and he took the cup with a mumbled attempt at thanks dolores smiled at his confusion and in that smile was the allure of a circe venner's expression became less tense as he noted the faces of his fellows for in their eyes he read jealousy, rank, and stark, and it warmed him to the marrow. In the next instant his warmth rose to fever heat, and malice twisted his features. Dolores had taken another cup, and now she offered it to Pierce with a smile yet more gracious than before. My silent friend... Here's to thee, too, she murmured. His cup she kissed twice, and presented it so carefully that the place she kissed was against his lips. Drink. I have sweetened it. 
as Venner's brows darkened, so did John Pierce conquer his first flush of self-contempt and put on a smile that irradiated his usually serious face. And Tomlin brightened, too, waiting in what patience he could muster for his turn, which must come next. To him, Dolores turned, cup in hand, and rising at the same time, gave him his wine with a brief. Here, drink too. I must leave thee a while. She forced the cup into Tomlin's trembling fingers, gave him never a glance, but went out of the saloon on her errand. When he realized she was gone, Craig Tomlin dashed down the wine like a petulant boy and cursed deeply and fiercely. And not until then did Venner and Pierce awake to the true artistry of the woman. For here, instead of making Tomlin a raging foe, willing to plot with all the power of his alert brain for their ultimate release, she had aroused a demon of black jealousy in him, which promised to set all three by the ears. Restricted as their movements were, they were forced to nurse whatever feelings Dolores had implanted in them in full sight of each other, and Tomlin left no doubt as to his feelings. At the farthest scope of his chain, he flung himself down on the slanting floor and crouched there with dull glowing eyes, bent loweringly upon his friends. Venner laughed awkwardly and glanced at Pierce. The laugh died away and left a silence between them that was vividly accentuated by the manifold voices of the laboring vessel. For in the swift meeting of eyes, John Pierce and Venner, host and guest, friends to that moment, saw in each other an established rival, a potential foe. Involuntarily, they drew apart, and when Dolores returned from the deck, she found them spread out like star rays, having nothing in common except a common center. She gave no sign that she noticed them, but her heavy, fringed lids drooped over eyes brimming with gratification. As she stepped from the stairs, the schooner swung upright, the deck overhead thundered to the slamming of booms as she came about, and the cabin sloped the other way, rolling the scattered wine cups noisily across the floor. Neither man looked up, but Tomlin's cup rolled so that it struck his foot, and he gave voice to a deep oath, terrible in its uncalled-for savagery. Then Dolores gave them outward notice for the first time. With a low, pleasant laugh, she stepped quickly to Tomlin's side, laid a hand on his sullen head, and forced him to look up at her. I owe thee something, friend, she smiled, and Tomlin flushed hotly under her close regard. I treated thee badly in my haste. Come. She went to the sideboard filled another cup with wine, and came back, kneeling before Tomlin in the attitude of a slave, while her big eyes blazed full into his. Drink, for I like thee best, she whispered, sipping the wine and putting the brim, warm from her lips, to his. And Tomlin drank deeply, greedily, 
trembling under her close proximity. He felt her hand take his chain, heard the tinkle of links, and knew without seeing that she had unlocked his fetters, and he was free. Now sit here with me, and thou shalt tell me about thy world, my friend, the world thou shalt take me to. Her soft, thrilling voice set Tomlin's blood leaping, and as she spoke, she led him to Venner's great chair and sat him down in it. Facing at the length of the table her other two captives, she stood behind the big chair, her arms on the top, leaning low to Tomlin's ear, her lips almost brushing his cheek, and she whispered to him musically, seductively. Her jeweled fingers played with his hair, the soft, warm skin of her arms slid around his neck and face. When in a frenzy he reached impulsively for her hand and gripped it, she laughed yet more deliciously and permitted him to hold it. "'We must just seek another world, Dolores,' Tomlin said hoarsely. "'Harry, your queen, out in the greater world you can be no more. Stay, and let me stay with you.' And would my paltry possessions pay thee for renouncing thy people, thy home? she asked. Home? People? Gold, I renounce heaven itself if you say yes. We shall see, my friend, Dolores sighed, and Tomlin felt her tremble slightly. My chief desire is to leave behind me this life of herder to human beasts to go into the world whence comes such as thee, Tomlin, to live among the people who can make such as these. She indicated the rich furnishing of the saloon, the sideboard silver and plate, the stained glass of the skylight. All these things I have, and more. Nay, but thy treasures are nothing compared with what I shall show thee in the great chamber. Yet must I keep them hidden because of the beasts that call me sultana where they came from these treasures must be men like thee tomlin women like the painted women of my gallery people with the art to make these things instead of the brute power to steal them and there i will go and thou art to be my guide then in heaven's name let us go now cried tomlin trying to rise she laughed in his ear again, and her soft, warm arms pressed him in the chair with a power that amazed him. We shall go, in good season, she whispered, but the rest was murmured so faintly, yet so tremendously audible to his superheated brain, that he drew back and stared at her with an awful expression of mingled unbelief and horror distorting his face. "'Do you know what you see?' he gasped, and shot an apprehensive glance toward Venner and Pierce. "'Surely, my friend,' she crooned, "'thyself alone. Of those who came in this ship may return. If I am desirable, see to it that I can be pleased with thee.' Dolores stood up, bent upon him a dazzling smile. 
leaned as if to kiss his lips. Then with a tinkling little ripple of mirth, blew a kiss instead, and ran up the companion stairs to the deck. Tomlin stood glaring after her as if fascinated. His face, deeply flushed a moment before, had gone deathly white. His profile, turned under the lamp toward his companions, showed deeply puckered brows over stony eyes, lips parted as if to utter a cry of horror. And Venner, fuming inwardly, had seen enough to recall some of his badly scattered wits. He called Tomlin by name, hoarsely, softly, and exclaimed when he looked around, Tomlin, shall we three be ruined body and soul by that sorceress? Come, help us out of these chains, and we will make a bid for liberty. We can reach Peters and such men as are left, by way of the alleyway to the forecastle. I know where weapons are to be got, and will put our fate on the cast. Come, Pierce is of a like mind, eh, Pierce? Pierce did not reply at once, and Tomlin saved him the trouble, for, recovering himself with a shudder, he put a hand on the companion rail and started up the stairs with a laugh of contempt. I have no concern with your troubles, Venner, he said. As for liberty, I am free as air. I believe patience as the medicine you need. Tomlin reached the deck with tingling ears, for even Pierce came out of his reverie to curse him. But curses or benedictions counted nothing at that moment. In every patch of light, he saw Dolores's devilishly lovely face. In every swing of the vessel, he saw her consummate grace. He was a thirsty man seeking a spring, knowing full well that a draft must kill him. He stood alone outside the companionway, wondering at the absence of people, at the absence of Dolores. A solitary man stood at the wheel, and looking around for others, Tomlin noticed vaguely that the black storm was broken, that watery stars were winking down, and that almost in the zenith a gibbous moon leaned like a brimming dipper of quicksilver, ready to drop from the inky cloud that had but just uncovered it. Then voices reached his ears from forward, voices full of wondering anger, and he stepped out clear of the deckhouse and peered ahead on the windward side. There, two miles away, the land loomed black and forbidding. And high up, on a crest, a great red blaze leaped and swirled against the flying clouds. As he stood, Dolores ran aft, ignoring him utterly in her haste. Her men grouped themselves along the waist of the schooner, waiting for commands. The Fue Follette was already doing her best, that is, the best under such sail as was safe to carry. But there, to windward, and yet two miles distant, some part of the pirate village was burning, and none might yet say what part it was. The one thing certain was that it could not be the great chamber. That was of rock. It might be destroyed by an explosion, never by fire. 
so there was a ring of exultation in Dolores's tone when she sang the hail along. Loose both topsails and set them. Caliban, thou small villain, out and loose the outer jib. Main sheet here. Oh ho, bullies! Flat! More yet! So belay! Then the girl flung the man from the wheel, seized the spokes herself, and began to nurse the schooner to windward with truly superhuman art. Closer yet she brought the graceful craft, closer until the luffs trembled and the seas burst fair upon the stem and volleyed stinging spray the full length of her. And as she drew nearer, the blaze seemed to diminish and blaze afresh, as if firefighters were there indeed, but lacking weapons to fight with. Is it the treasure house? Tomlin asked anxiously, stepping beside the girl. She stood in deep shadow. The dim radiance of the lighted binnacle touched her face, breasts, and arms with soft light, and her eyes, as they flashed swiftly toward the man, glittered with some subtle quality that sent a shiver running down his spine. Treasure house, she repeated, and her voice was no longer soft and alluring. It was metallic and menacing. For the second time, first in Venner, now in Tomlin, she had seen the true source of their fascination. No, it is not the treasure house. It is the council hall where thou wert lodged. She snatched her gaze from the compass and fixed him with a cold, unwinking stare of a snake. Where thou wert lodged, my friend, who would renounce all for me? Where had I cared to, I might have left two of ye, taking with me to safety only the one whose brains are not afire with soulless gold and jewels. Tomlin grew hot and uneasy. My brain is on fire with your beauty, Dolores, he returned, trying to force her gaze to meet his again. Prove it to me, then, she replied shortly, and waved him away devoting her attention now to making the anchorage already close to. End of chapter 15. Recording by Carmen Fulmer, West Virginia.